everybody. It's Sharon Hall, and I am here with Jerry Hall. No relation. She wouldn't claim us if she had to. <laughs> but here we are, and we're going to talk about placement options today. It's, um, it's something that we all struggle with, and I'm going to turn it right over to Jerry because there's a lot to cover. So, uh, Jerry, have at it. Thank you. Um, we're going to talk about residential care options, which simply means you're going to take your person with uh, FTD and the person is going to live in a setting where they will receive care. Um, and there's two types of care. There's what we call custodial care, which is bathing, dressing, that sort of thing. Um, and then the second type of care is restorative care. This is where we're giving physical therapy, speech therapy, et cetera. Um, most of the care that people with dementia get in residential settings is what we call custodial, meaning that there's nothing terribly skilled about it. Um, it's sort of assumed that just about anybody could do it, although that's you, you and I all know that not everybody can do it. So there are about five or six different levels of care. What's important is in your country or the state that you live in, the rules and regulations for the care will be different based on what the state has developed. So if I say uh, this pays for this, you, half the people in the audience are going to say, that doesn't work in my state. So I understand that, but we're trying to be generic for you just so you get an idea. The other thing I wanted you to know is there's no good time to place. You know, somebody's always going to have a birthday or an anniversary. Um, there's no good place that will be perfect for your loved one. Many places uh, say they have memory care. You better ask what memory care means because there are no rules in most states for memory care. Um, so I'm going to start with the lowest level of care. And by lowest level, I mean you have the fewest number of trained people on staff and you have the least amount of oversight as a general rule. And so we start with group homes. And... Some states have them, some states don't. Some states, Medicaid will pay for it if you run out of money. Um, in other states, you have to go to a different level of care. One of the problems we have is that when you have the cheapest level of care, you tend to get people who are less qualified to provide care. So um, very often there may be no training uh, you have to be very careful when you walk in and you say to someone, do you do FTD care or even dementia care? Ask them what they mean by that. Because a lot of times somebody will say, well, I took care of my mother back in my home country. And that is not necessarily what we consider training. There should be a standardized training program. Number two Many group homes do not have staff that's fluent in English, um, and so you need to ask about how they manage that. Many will not have a caregiver on that's awake at night. Here in Arizona, it's not uncommon 
for somebody to hand the patient a call bell, the patient doesn't really understand what it is that they're, um, the call bell is for or what they're supposed to do with it, and so they'll get up and wander or fall or what have you. Activities, which is the most important aspect of care in dementia, may be very limited. In some of the group homes, all the patient gets are movies and television. Movies and television are the biggest cause we have of hallucinations and delusions because the patient's brain doesn't know what's real versus what's not real. On the other hand, you may have a high ratio of staff to residents, which gives your person more uh, one-on-one time. Very often the food is better and less institutional. And very often, and particularly in a um, group home that's been around for a long time, you get very dedicated staff. Questions to ask. Number one, how long have they been in business and under how many different owners? When the, Very important, when they call someone a nurse, ask what the person's credentials are. Very often, nursing assistants and um, other non-professional staff working in uh, group homes will call themselves nurses, but they're really not a nurse. And so your expectation of the help is going to be very different than what they're able to offer. Um, What you're looking to ask for is, are there any registered nurses on staff? Are there any practical nurses on staff? Or... Are these people AIDS? Are they certified to give medications? Very important. What are the activities? What kind of snacks do they offer? It's pretty well accepted that people don't eat just three square meals a day when they're in long-term care. Extra charges. Many facilities charge extra for medical supplies, for medications are usually not covered. Some will charge extra for laundry and linen. Um, And you want to know if an RN or a physician is going to visit. You know, do they come and and oversee what's going on? If there is a survey in your state, when was the last survey and what was the outcome? You know, did they have a clean uh, outcome or were there complaints filed? And most important, what do they do about behavioral issues? You know, you need to know what the, if you're going towards a group home, you need to know how many people in your state you can have in a group home. And some it's 10, some it's 15. Um, so there's a limit on it, um, and you want to know that. The second type of care we see is assisted living. And in each state, How it's licensed or certified is very different. In some states, like I used to live in Iowa, it it was simply a rental agreement, and there was no guarantee of care, and what you got was what you sort of told them you wanted and were willing to purchase. In many states, assisted living and group homes are not covered by Medicaid when you run out of money. In some other states, like Arizona, we have coverage for those types of care. Um, through our, our Medicare or Medicaid supplement program, 
With assisted living, do they simply agree to provide personal care and meals for a rental agreement? Um, what training in memory care does the staff undergo? And what do the, they claim that their program is? They can say, we have a wonderful program, and you should hear something like, well, we have periods of rest, we have activities in the morning, we have three meals a day, we have snacks. You want to hear tangible things that sound good, not just this is our program. Um, is somebody on duty at nights and weekends? Very important. Um, what training in memory care does the staff undergo? And for somebody who's in an assisted living or an assisted living memory care, you really want to make sure that you see what the training program is and it's not just, well, I follow a staff member around for three weeks until I kind of get what I'm supposed to do. Um, is there, um, I know this is different uh, state to state, um, Jerry, but is mm -hmm. there some sort of uh, standard that they have to have a training program or is that really not a standard and they just do it if they want to do it? Depends on the state. Okay, so each state sets its own parameters of what an assisted living is called, what a group home is called, what memory care is called, and what skilled nursing is called, correct? Not skilled. Nursing facility, which is the old-fashioned nursing home. Skilled right. nursing is covered by Medicare, and that's tightly regulated like a hospital would be. Okay, but all the others are sort of, it depends on your state. So it behooves all of us to understand what licensing means in your state for the different types of places that you can that you can uh, have residential care. And this stuff isn't easy. No. Um, it's, it's complicated. So you want to have the number of your area office on aging and set up an appointment so that you can actually talk to a human who can answer questions about your state in depth. The other thing is having copies of the regulations of where your person is going. So if they're going to a group home, you pull up the regulations on the Internet for whatever your state is uh, for group homes. And most of them are pretty readable. You know, there's, it's not a lot of legalese. With assisted living, you want to know who's giving medications. And one of the problems we have in assisted living and we have in group homes is very often the staff who has very few credentials, maybe there may not even be a nurse or a doctor that visits the place. Um, you know, you may um, find that you've got people who are unlicensed people or uncertified people calling up and demanding extra medications which can be very dangerous. Um, technically, they have to have a physician's order, but if, um, how do I say this? Very often, physicians don't go out to those places, and um, so it, it's a staff member calling and asking or demanding what they think the medica medication regimen should be. So it takes a lot of oversight on our part to make sure that things are being done the way we think they should be done or at least under the way the law 
claims that that facility should do them? I'm not sure what you mean. Uh, we, we have you to have to be very vigilant about yeah. supervising care. Okay. You know, okay. Because you are the supervisor. Now, memory care is difficult at very best. You know, behavioral care with FTD can be incredibly complex, and you can see things where people have fallen. And you know, I saw a patient yesterday where he had a fall, and it looked like somebody had beaten him severely. Uh, those things can't be helped very often. Um, but, you know, know when it happened, get the facts, and if you need to or you suspect that there's this treatment going on, you have to report it to the state, and you have to know who to report it to. I'd like to bring up a little, I don't want to get you off track here, uh, Jerry, but I want to bring something um, you know, a lot of times when we've been caring for someone at home for a number of years and, and then we, it's to the point where we really need to do some residential care, oftentimes, you know, we, we tend to think that we, since we've been doing it for so long, that we are the experts on doing it. And is it, tell me how, how advisable it is for us to, lower our expectations a little on some things that are not crucial. So in other words, like you always say, nobody ever died from not taking a bath. If we go in and we find that the person hasn't had a bath that day and it was because they just refused to get in the shower, is that a fight or is that a note to self and make sure it doesn't happen often? Or do you know what I'm saying? Can you give me a little advice? I do know what you're saying, and it's, it's one of the things you really have to deal with. Um, you know, the first time you go in and somebody isn't bathed, ask why. You know, and don't be demanding because the reason the person is in long-term care is that it was a big job for you and, as well as for anybody else who tried to give it. Um, but just say, gee, I noticed, you know, mom hasn't had her teeth cleaned, although I will tell you, Getting mouth care done in long-term care is one of the most difficult things people try to do. Um, but if the staff says, well, golly, we tried to give her a bath and she refused and we're going to, do you have any tips? And if you have some tips, share them. This is a team effort. If I'm giving care and I have a family member come in, and say, I'm going to watch everything you do because one wrong move, I'm going to sue you because I want my mother to get the best care. Well, number one, mother isn't going to be touched after that. And number two, you can't pr provide care in an adversarial situation. So it's very much up to the, to the family um, to really establish the relationships. One of the things that I've always advised family members to do is make a habit of catching the staff doing something right and comment on it, commenting on it. Because if people think that you really respect what they're doing, another case I had where I had, uh, I was with another man whose wife was in, and he said, I never let the nursing assistants talked to the families. 
well, why not? They're good enough to care for your mom. You know, well, I just want the executive staff to deal with families. You know, there has to be a happy medium. Yeah, I mean, the hands-on people are the people that, you know, you want to know and you want to share with, I would I would think. Um, you know, we, we had a situation where mom went into assisted, well, it was assisted living memory care, but they put her in assisted living. Now, we go through that a lot with FTD as well, that, you know, they look at this healthy person who seems to be pretty mobile, and they go, oh, they don't need memory care, and put them in assisted living. And then they just kind of, mom was saying, I'll just take a sponge bath, and I had no idea what was going on for a week. And I knew that they would have to say, come on, let's get a shower, or she wouldn't do it. So mm-hmm. I I initially thought she, they were going to put her in memory care, and they evaluated that, no, no, she only needs assisted living. I probably should have pressed that more. And 90% of the people in assisted living have some memory loss. Yeah, but they just, you know, they didn't, they acted, they didn't act as though she had as much memory loss as she has. And so consequently, her care wasn't as good. And I kind of blame myself for that because maybe I should have said, oh, I really think you need to be in memory care. Uh, is that proper to do, or, or should yes, we take your advice on where they go? Yes, it is. You, you become a member of a team. And, you know, I've been doing dementia care now since 1978, and I can't look at a patient and know exactly what they are able to do or not able to do just by looking. It takes yeah. a little bit of getting used to it and figuring out who this person is and what they're able to do. Right. And getting back to that for a minute, one of the things you want to make sure is that an assisted living has activities. And at this level, your patient should be pretty active, able to participate, et cetera. And if they don't find something for your person to do, they should be meeting with you trying to figure out what, how to fix that. You need to know how long the assisted living plans on keeping your parent or your person. Oh, is this a person, a place that they can stay until they pass away? Or is this a place where once you become terminally ill, they want you in a hospice or some other type of facility? Um, If there are behavior problems, what do they do about it? Do they use a geriatric psychiatry unit? And if so, which one? Um, if there's more than one in your area. And how many people do they tell? um, I had a patient this week where somebody said, you know, mom has been trying the door handles and, you know, she walks a lot and she's been discharged from the facility for that. And that seems a little bit severe. So, um, you know, we have to kind of watch what's going on there and see what's happening. Yeah. Memory care. Go ahead. It happens a lot. I mean, I know here in Georgia, and you know, I'm in a couple of FTD support groups here. I have one, and I go to one at Emory, and in, in both locations, there have been issues of this, you know, come and get them. We can't. We don't like the way they look at us kind of thing. And um, it, it's very subjective and you know you mm-hmm. I, I, is it education that they're I mean would it help 
if we go in initially and say, I, I totally understand that FTD is probably not part of your general wheelhouse, and maybe you've had some people, but with FTD, everybody's very different. Could I have a little bit of time to explain how things are done for my person that works the best? And if yes. they don't accept that, then that's probably a red flag? That's right. That's right. Um, you learn a lot from the families, and you know, a lot of families are embarrassed. A lot of them are feeling very guilty. It's a very tough time for them. So, you know, half of what you're doing is patient care, and the other half of what you're doing is team building. Yeah, um, so and very important with assisted living is do they accept Medicaid if you run out of money? Yeah. Um, the average cost of uh, assisted living and memory care vary enormously. So you need to know what your costs are and what your anticipated bill is, including extras. Um, the other thing is, do they have a psychiatrist on call, a geriatric psychiatrist on call, so that if you need a consultation, you can get one quickly and in a timely manner? Um, it, that can save a lot of heartbreak. Um, I'm going to switch now to memory care. Memory care is, is an interesting concept in that everybody knows what it is, but nobody really could describe it, and it varies enormously. Um, things that you're looking for, is it certified in your state? In many states, memory care is not certified, and you have no idea what you're getting. Um, Activities should be there, and there should be more activities than um, just a regular assisted living. The idea is that if somebody is not confused or uh, in behaviorally impaired, they can pretty much choose what they're going to do after somebody helps them with the basics of day-to-day -day personal care. But your person with a demanding illness they can't choose what they want to do. They can't tell you what they want to do. They need help in starting it. So it's really important that activities are closely monitored. Um, again, um, what's your staff ratio? If you have memory care, 1 to 10 is not a very good number for day, uh, for day or evening staff. Um, you would want something more like 5 or 6. Uh, uh, patients per staff member. Do they accept Medicaid again? Uh, how many people in a room? Very important. Some patients become very lonely when they're alone uh, in a room by themselves. Other patients really thrive in a room by themselves. Um, with people such as who have FTD, you sometimes get accidents where somebody will take a pillow and um, try and harm the person that's also in the room. So if there is a double room, you want to make sure that that's a little closer to the nursing station or whatever kind of office they have so that you can keep an eye on it. Um, does the placement last until the resident passes? Um, if so, do they allow hospice in? Um, is the facility supervised uh, and what and surveyed? Um, what were the last survey outcomes? Um, 
and what medication do they use for behaviors. Uh, there are certain medications, there is a list called the beers list, just like a, a glass of beer, um, and it's a list of medications that are not good for people with dementia and people who are over a certain age, usually 75. Uh, some of them are what we call benzodiazepines, and they can build up in the patient's system and we get really adverse effects. So you want to make sure that you know what the medications are and that they aren't going uh, It always helps to have a pharmacist tell you which you're going to interact to, because we never know. Um, what happens if the person uh, wanders or elopes? Um, we've had a couple of those here lately. Um, and, you know, did they find them alive? Did they have a way of searching? Um, are they go if the person elopes once, does that mean they're going to have to leave? Um, are they familiar with FTD? What special training have they offered their staff? Have they reached out to any of the providers around that do care for people with FTD? Um, and do they have an RN on staff? Now, nurse, next category is, is a nursing home. And this is a typical old-fashioned, what they call a nursing facility. Um, which is designed using a medical model. Usually you've got two bedrooms. Um, there's physical therapy and speech therapy. Um, there's not as much in the way of activities, and usually the areas are not very home-like. Uh, Medicaid will pay for the care. Um, that's the only federal guarantee that you have of Medicaid uh, is a nursing facility. Um, They have RNs and LPNs on staff, um, and they um, offer dementia-specific training. But again, I would ask to see what's in it. Um, and um, there may be visitor restrictions on arrival. One of the things that we hear from staff and from resident uh, uh, families a lot is that they want you to go home and leave your loved one in this totally strange place surrounded by strangers and that that person um, can't have home visitors because we want to help them adjust. Well, you have to look at your person as somebody who has developmentally regressed. And just as you would not leave a toddler or a five-year-old with strangers all day um, and just not visit and not come see that they're okay for two weeks. Um, most of us in the business look at that as abandonment, that it, does, it really is not a good thing for the patients or the families. Why has, why has it become a practice? I know, I know we hear that a lot where people say, well, they want them to adjust, they don't want us to visit for a week or whatever. How did that become a practice, and, and why? Do you know? I think it's the old-fashioned, you know, visitors are in the way kind of thing. Um, but if you're trying to integrate a family into your program and a resident, um, then that's it, – it, it hampers it. It would seem to me that they would want your advice on what – 
Now, I guess maybe part of that thinking is that they'll say that the person then wants to elope to, to go back home. Is that the fear from their end? Is that this will be more of a of a elopement type of situation if the family visits right away? No, I think that they'll be upset. And they just want to circumvent that whole thing about, about them being upset, and so they just say, stay away? But it's going to happen whenever they come, isn't it? I mean... Well, I think so. Yeah. We only have about a minute and a half left here, uh, Jerry. Do you want to just kind of go over what we're going to cover on the 23rd as continuing on this residential care? On the 23rd, we're going to talk about how you actually pursue a placement. Um, What are the things you consider... Uh, how do you break it to the family? How do you find a facility? Um, how do you evaluate the whole thing? How do you get the person to actually be at the facility? Um, and what are some of the problems people encounter? And what are the, some of the successes, too? I am going to post the uh, handout for this. Uh, after, after When the recording comes out, I'll be posting this handout from today. If you have questions that you specifically want us to try to address next time, send them. uh, I'll give you an email address in my posting to send those questions, and we'll try to get to some of those if you have pressing questions on these types of placements, and uh, we'll try to cover those quickly before we get into the meat of the next session about residential placement. So uh, look for that on the 23rd. It will be at the same time, 2 o'clock Eastern time. Again, thank you very much, uh, Jerry, for your time and your valuable, valuable information that you always provide to us. Uh, We really appreciate it. So look for the next session on this because this is stuff that we all talk about. Have a great week. Bye.